1: Everybody and welcome to another edition of Mets Therapy. My name is Andrew Claudio. Your latest session begins right now. And look, sometimes when you name a show, it takes a while before the overall concept kicks in and it makes sense why you decided to, to name something a certain thing. And when I initially came up with the idea of Mets therapy, I thought it was like a cute name. Like, oh, yeah, Mets fans need therapy. And, you know, for all the all the, the horrors and the agita that this fan base, or I guess this franchise puts its fan base through. And I thought it would be weeks, hopefully months, before I'd even have to really, really talk people off a ledge or calm people down. I did not think it would be seven games into the season. I did not think it would be, you know, before they've played a home game. Well, here we are. Mets Therapy, apparently the most appropriate titled podcast that's ever existed. So let me start here. We do the what happened and then what's our feelings as a result to it, right? So the what happened and the reaction. Well, the what happened, the Mets got swept by the Brewers in a series that for the first two games was giving me vibes of 2003, where the Mets lost 10-0, Cookie Carrasco didn't have it on Monday night, neither did Tommy Hunter, and the Brewers were... A team that came into the the series with zero home runs on the year. They have more than that now. Um, game two of this series, Max Scherzer, uh, had it somewhat for about five innings, a rough first inning, but then really settled down. And then I'll, I'll talk about this a little later, but then again in the sixth inning just kind of became very hittable and allowed back-to-back-to-back home runs. Um and didn't even make it out of the sixth inning. Uh, and the Brewers, once again, uh, won 9 nothing and shut out the Mets. And we'll, we'll talk about the Bats in a second as well. And then the last game, the Mets, at least the middle of their order, finally woke up. And Lindor gets three hits. Pete Alonso two home runs. Um, they're up 6-4. Drew Smith couldn't hold the lead. Uh, and then Adam Adovino is walked off in the ninth inning. And the Mets are swept by Milwaukee. Um, So that's what happened. And I'll start here. There, there are really three things I want to hit on about my reaction to this series. And the first one is that it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated. I was very frustrated watching. I wanted that game on Wednesday because I, I wanted to come home and be over 500 for the home opener. And, you know, some better bullpen work, some more clutch hitting. And maybe you get that. Unfortunately, they didn't. And they leave Milwaukee under 500. They come home for the home opener under 500. And this is just a reminder. And the first big thing is that this team spoiled us last year. We were so spoiled by how good that team was last year. And in fact, this is the second thing. A reminder that last season so much went right that doesn't usually go right. The Mets were not swept in a three-game series last year until September when they lost three at home to the Cubs. They didn't get swept in a road series last year until the final road series of the weekend in Atlanta where everything came crashing down. They didn't lose a series, two out of three, or just any series, three out of four, two out of two-zero, anything. They didn't lose a series until mid-May. They rarely lost a series last season. That's what a 101 win season looks like. So much went right, so much clutch hitting, so much, so very few slumps from this team. And as a result, we were able to kind of overreact in the beginning of the season. They got off to a really good start. They were 20 and 10 through 30 games, and they just never looked back. Any other division that they would have been in, it would have been acceptable to be just 101 wins. And you're either in first place and you won it or you're in second place, second place behind the generational team that the Dodgers were in the regular season last year with 111 wins or behind the eventual World Series champions in the Houston Astros, which you could stomach more because that's a a team that's a borderline dynasty at the moment. But no, they played in the same division as a team that got off to a tough start last year with the Braves and played 98 Yankees ball from about June 1st until the end of the year. They had the Mets had to be perfect to hold off the Braves last year and they weren't. And now they're showing more imperfections and it sucks. This is not going to be as easy as last year it seems. However, I do want to remind people and this is really the big thing that I want to uh, push in this episode, my my real my real advice to give to any Mets fan that is making overarching judgments about the season through seven games, just don't. There's there's 155 more baseball games to play. Remember what I said in episode one: we do not react to standings or results or make judgments about a team and what they are before Memorial Day. That's the first time you look at the standings. That's the first time you look at where guys are struggling and what batting averages are, what slugging percentages are. If a guy has played two months and he's still what he was the first two weeks of the season, then you're concerned. If Jeff McNeil is still hitting under 200 in, in mid June. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm concerned. If, if Lindor and Alonso were still not hitting for power two months into the season. Yeah. Then I'm concerned. He cannot do this with seven games. And look, Can I just, here's the research I did for this, this episode. I wanted to go through some of the more recent, I want to see how far back I had to go to find a a team that did really well. And if they got off to a rough start, did I have to go back five years to find like a a hundred win team that, that got off to a rough seven game start? Yeah. How far back I had to go. Let's go back to 2022. So 2022, the Yankees, Got off to a five and five start. In fact, game ten they were shut out by the Baltimore Orioles, which at the time we had no idea the, the Orioles might be good. And they they were five and five. Fan, fan base was panicking. Uh, they were lost two out of three of the Orioles. They were shut out five nothing. Aaron Judge had one home run and one RBI through ten games. I'm assuming we all remember how the rest of his season went. Um, How about the 2022 Braves? I, like we've talked about the the 23 and 27 start they got off to, right? Like the tough stretch they got off to. They were three and five through eight games last season. And in those five losses, there's an 11-2 loss and a 12-1 loss. Sounds a lot like the New York Mets, you know, getting off to a rough start with two blowout losses on your resume. Dansby um, Swanson was hitting ninth in game eight at that point and hitting 143 on the season. And then one more big one. How about the 2022 Astros? They were 7-9 and nine to start last season. The World Series champion Astros got off through 16 games to an under 500 start. And you know what? Jordan Alvarez, World Series hero and eventual Silver Slugger winner and MVP candidate was hitting on uh, through 16 games of last season. He was hitting 167. Jeremy Pena, the World Series MVP, the LCS MVP, was hitting ninth and hitting under 250 on that team. None of these guys were hitting for power either. So I'm like ignoring the on base and the, and the slugging. Cause they just were also non-existent. Like the, the point of their batting average is weren't hitting anything to start last season. And look, if I want to make the comparison to last year, the Mets were three and two to start with two, their two losses being back to back against Washington and Philly we all remember the two back-to-back bullpen implosions. I remember the oh, see they didn't do enough in the offseason. This bullpen stinks. Am I going to trust? How am I going to trust Ottavino on this team? Well, what ended up happening the rest of the year? The Mets then won three in a row, and we're off to the races to a 101 win season. Teams get off to tough starts. They have played seven games this season. You know, I even had to go back. Like, have recent champions had like rough stretches? Like, did they need to be like at a at a 90 win pace for most of the season? In order for them to qualify for the playoffs. Well, the 2021 Braves were under 500 on August 1st. The 2019 Nationals were 19 and 31. And the losses 28 through 31 was a four game sweep by the Mets at Citi Field. There is so much more baseball to play. I am begging you if you're, if you're making overarching judgments that they didn't make enough moves in the offseason. Let me guess, you wanted Correa? Well, Carlos Correa right now has zero home runs, two RBIs, and is hitting 208. And if you want to go to the power numbers, his OPS is 519. He's five for 24 with two walks to start the season. He would fit right in with the current lineup right now and how poorly they're all hitting. Like the season I always go back to, that taught me to not overreact to April is 2007 because the captain David Wright got off to one of the worst starts of his career, arguably the worst start of his career only rivaled really by 2016, zero home runs, six RBIs, He had 244. Now, he did have a 370 on base. So he was still like getting on base at the elite clip. The power just was not there. He had a 311 slugging percentage and a 682 OPS. Remember, for those who don't, who haven't been, have been mostly batting average guys and don't understand the OPS significance, anything around 800 is usually like the same thing as a a 300 batting average. So a 682 OPS is like, a 210 batting average. So for the month of April, after that 06 season where all the great things happened, and he was on Letterman and in the home run derby. And then the the don't even need to tell you what happened in the playoffs in 06. David Wright came back the following season and had that April. And you know what he ended up doing that season? He hit 30 home runs, he hit 30 stolen bases, one of the only third basemen ever to accomplish that feat, hit 325 that season, had his highest career OPS, I believe it was 982, and had 107 RBIs. Arguably should have been the MVP that season if, you know, you don't blow a seven game lead with 17 to play. We do not overreact to April, we just cannot, and we it works both ways. Do I need to remind you the eleven and one start that they got off to with Mickey Calloway in twenty eighteen? We cannot make too much of April standings and and April results, okay? They haven't even played a home game. they're gonna turn it around. they're gonna be better than this and i and I have to say this for a three and four team, you would think that they're one in six, or even zero oh and seven. That the Miami series didn't happen. I get it. Some guys are off to slow starts. I, as I said earlier, thankfully there is 155 more games to play. They have four losses right now. They're going to lose at least. I think they're going to lose at least 60 more times this year. There are going to be 60 more times that you watch a Mets game and they lose. You have to take it all in stride. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So that is my initial advice to all of you ready to to fire Billy Epler and to you know trade everybody. R-E-L-A-X, as my future quarterback once said.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform You need Indeed.
1: Now that we got that out of the way, let's actually look at some of the individual performances so far and see whether you should be concerned or not about all these guys. Let me get two out of the way right now that I'm just not concerned about in the least bit. One is Jeff McNeil and one is Mark Canna. Not concerned about either of them. Mark Canna, despite hitting 160, had a really good Miami series, did not have a good Milwaukee series, I trust that his, shout out Kevin Danishevsky. I trust that his career numbers will eventually regress back to the mean, and that he will not be a 160 hitter this season. I think he's going to get on base a ton the rest of the season as well. And as far as Jeff McNeil goes, doesn't have a walk run this year. He's still making a ton of contact for 28 at bats to have three strikeouts. That's just like unheard of right now in this sport. Um, so I'm not even a little bit concerned about Jeff McNeil. It's a slump to start the season ironically like older baseball fans will remember this there's a lot of Paul O'Neill and Jeff McNeil he takes like offers home with him and bad at bats to the field with him not even to the point where it really affects his defense but where he's just like upset like he's like it's too strong to call him a head case but especially as someone who's watched Julius Randall all year get well soon Julius but Jeff McNeil is very cerebral. And it's why last season was so good for him because the guy won the batting title and I remember him being more upset than happy with his bats last season. So he'll be fine. Those two guys are just not worried about. It's a rough seven game stretch. We're like three games away from like, oh, Jeff McNeil was six for nine in this series. Oh, his batting average is back over 300. Oh, there we go. He's back. Oh, Mark Cannon was on base nine times in the last four games. What do you know? Mark Cannon's back. Those guys I'm not concerned about. The two big boppers. I think we started to see it, see it turn around a little bit. Lindor and Alonzo. And this is shout out to my my buddy uh, JB who runs Mets Fix. Uh, Jeffrey Ballone. He made the point last season that while they were very good and were able to create run scoring opportunities in different ways than other teams were, and they were, while they were inefficient, they were still very effective with their offense last year. Um, you really can beat the Mets if you shut down those two guys. You know, those were the two big run producers the two guys that drove in a hundred runs last year. Um, they're really the two big power threats in the lineup as well. So them struggling had a lot to do with those first two days. And I also think the only reason they had a chance to win yesterday is because they turned it around. Lindor getting three hits, Alonzo hitting two home runs. And look, the whole thing about OPS and why I think it more accurately shows how productive you are. Alonso's hitting 192 right now, but he's got an 877 OPS with three homers and six RBIs. I actually think he's had a decent start to the season. He can't hit 192 the rest of the year. I don't think he will hit 192 the rest of the year. But he is here to drive in runs and hit home runs. And he has done that, I think, enough so far to start the season. Those first two Milwaukee games were rough. Like newsflash, I don't think he was, they were going to win the game if he had a couple of hits or a couple of RBIs. They were just didn't pitch either of those games. So I'm not worried about Alonso and Lindor. I just, he, he goes through these stretches. He is not a guy that hits 300. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about Lindor either. Let's just get it out of the way. I think, I think we're seeing the near the end of Eduardo Escobar. I think this team realizes it as well, which is why you saw Giorme get a couple of starts. Over the past couple of days, the lack of contact is just really, really concerning. Um, he's two for 20 to start the year. He's hitting 100, which, again, is two for 20. He does not have an extra base hit. There's a lot of last year Cano vibes where Robbie Cano started the season with the team. You saw very little bat speed. Like He hit the home run on opening day or the home opener, I should say. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, maybe there is something there. But even that, like, he was late on a fastball and used his, like, he I do this kind of home run. A guy hits a home run in a major league game, you do it. I just, the bat speed wasn't there. So, they made the decision. I think two other baseball teams made the same decision that his contributions to a major league team were probably over. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. I worry that we're nearing that same end with Eduardo Escobar. A lot could change. Again, he could have a, a similar series. We saw what September was last year. There's just some really, really rough signs from, from the eye test, from watching his at-bats, where you just don't think he has a chance. And that's like the worst sign of, of an older player when, when it comes to, especially in the field, especially at, at the plate and then in the field. So, thankfully, the Mets, <laughs> one of their number one prospects, is the third baseman. So it's only a matter of time before we see Brett Beatty. And then we'll go to the catching position because Omar Narvaez was actually doing really well for the Mets. At least he was getting on base a ton with the Mets before he got hurt. Uh, For those who do not know, Omar Narvaez uh, left the game on Wednesday a little early, and I waited to record this until we knew about his status. He has a high calf strain, is going to miss eight to nine weeks, and Francisco Alvarez is on the way. I am begging the Mets. Two, please make it so that way he is playing catcher for the Mets, that he is catching games and has a chance to win this job. This can turn a season around. The other team, that we talked about the teams that got off to a slow start. The reason the Braves were able to turn their season around last year is their farm system arrived with the Spencer Striders and the Michael Harrises of the world and their kids, like the Willem Contreras's and the um, Vaughn Grishams. The kids were able to help really turn that season around. And I think we may be headed that way with the Mets. Look, I'm not a prospect guy. The minor leagues to me are the MLPL, the Major League Potential League. I just like, I'm not discounting. Like those home runs do count in a way, but they also don't in the sense of like, like Mark Hessman has like the major league record or the minor league record for home runs in a career. Right. And that just tells me like, oh, so you weren't good enough to play in the majors so much that you stayed in the minors for a long time, which like power to you. Like, good job. But when you get up here is when it matters. Having said that, these these studs that are currently in AAA, every alert I get from Metsmerized or from my buddy Evan, who is the biggest prospect. I, I, I tease him when call him a prospect hugger. I believe he. Cares more about the minors than the actual Mets team. Um, probably because there's no stakes involved. It's just are you good or are you bad? If you're bad, you don't matter. Uh every single alert he gives me or text he sends me is like this guy homered, that guy homered. And it's all it's all four of them. Like Alvarez has gone deep this year. Mauricio and Vientos homered two nights. Brett Beatty had two home runs a couple days ago. Like all four of these kids have the potential to contribute to the major league team this year. It's going to start with Alvarez, who was the highly touted catcher that they were so confident in, they called him up for the biggest three games of the regular season last year. He better get an opportunity. I am not sitting here through Tomas Nito at bats. Guys, 0 for 9 with five strikeouts to start the season. Give Alvarez a chance to win the job forever. Because once he wins it, it's his job for the next at least six years. So... That's where I am on the offense. That's where I am with the, the the tools that are on the way as well. As far as the pitching is concerned, there's two names I'm very concerned about, and they're the obvious ones. So Cookie Carrasco, it's so much less about it's so much less about the fact that he got shelled. It's it's somewhat to do with how he is with the pitch clock. And look, I haven't really talked about the pitch clock yet. Didn't mention it in the first episode. I love this thing. I look, I love baseball. I could watch five hours of it. I love the 20 inning games. It was like my favorite thing being like, oh wow, we're getting a, a marathon game tonight. This is awesome. I understand that there are other people in my life that don't love baseball as much as I do. And look, as I've gotten older and have filled my life with more well, let's just say this with basketball in particular, where it's like, OK, there's there's offense on every possession. There's a chance to score on every possession. We're literally in a season right now with basketball. That's the best offensive season of all time. And with baseball, there's a hint of like this could have been an email with the game, like these three hour games that were like three two. it's funny. My fiance, I, I showed her the MLB at bat condensed games. And how a full baseball game and its action and its events can be condensed into like eight minutes that matter. And that's the version that she can enjoy. And that's the version that a lot of like casual baseball fans are really attracted to. Now the days of me watching, you know, Yankees, red. well, it's funny Yankees Red Sox will probably still take four and a half hours, but the days of me watching these five hour games, Uh, that go into the middle of the night are probably gone. And I'm okay with that. That Marlins game that took two hours and nine minutes last week, not even the the one nothing Marlins game that Sandy Alcantara pitched, that was an hour and 57 minutes. This is better. It's a better TV product. Now, the one thing about the pitch clock, I will get relate this back to, to cookie Carrasco in a second. The one thing about the pitch clock that I'm very curious to see is when I go to city field, because that's what i've heard from from some season ticket holders is that you know you pay for a baseball game if you get up at any point to go get food or go to the bathroom you come back you miss two innings and you know you want the price of admission to be a baseball game you don't want to be watching it on tv for two innings while you're waiting online for food because then why didn't i just watch it at home and i think this is an effort by baseball to recognize that the TV money is what's going to be the most stable in the future. And it may be at the expense of the in stadium product. So we'll see. I love the pitch clock. I think it's one of the best things that's happened. I think it's the one good thing Rob Manfred can point to and be like, Oh yeah, you made baseball a little faster. You cut down the time by like a couple, like 35 minutes were cut off average baseball games. That's, That's probably the best thing you've done so far, Rob Manfred. Cookie Carrasco might think differently, though, because he clearly he had two pitches or he has two automatic balls assessed to him um, in his first start. He's a guy that likes to work slow, that really likes to take his time throwing a pitch, and he has not adjusted yet, at least didn't adjust in his first start. And it looked like he threw him off a little bit. It's why I'm not completely writing off him as as a starter. My concern is that I just at the point where he is in his career, he's throwing a ton of innings. He's not a a spring chicken. And as far as I'm concerned, I've seen many a veteran show up and have a bad start, and it be nothing. But I've also seen a lot of veterans come into the Mets, and it's a forecast for what the rest of the season is going to be. You know, like I remember the Jeff D'Amico year, the the freaking Sean Markham. Here's a name drop for you. So there's a pitcher named Sean Markham. The Mets gave this man every chance possible to be a starter in 2013. He was one in 10 that season. And like the one win was an eight inning gem that he threw. And it was clearly like the last, the last gasp of his career. Got an ERA over five for most of the year. He actually, there was a 20 inning game that year where he pitched all the extra innings and got the loss. So I guess there were two gems in his arsenal that season. But, like, I remember the Jeff D'Amico season, the Kaz Ishii season. I don't have to say the name Victor Zambrano without uh, encouraging Met fans to be upset. Uh, I want to see what a couple starts. I think this is more of a timing issue. Like, I want to see what a couple starts in April look like. And if we're still not figuring out how to pitch with the pitch clock, then, yeah, like, you have other options. Like, you may be a DFA candidate, Cookie. I hate to say it, but... This guy's brought here to be an innings eater. He's a, he's a fourth or fifth starter. I guess at this point, he's a fifth starter. And he's meant to just be productive, give you enough chances to win, give you a bunch of quality starts. That's all I'm expecting from him. Um, so I want to at least see if the veteran makes an adjustment to the pitch clock. Then there's Max Scherzer, who for two starts has looked good enough to very good for five innings. And then, I don't want to say fallen off a cliff, but looked extremely hittable in the sixth inning. Now, game one, he got out of it. He was, he was five scoreless and then gave up three runs in the sixth. And it was just a mental note. Like, all right, this is, it's opening day. You're still stretching stuff out. Like, hopefully you'll be fine. Second start, five innings, two runs, then back-to-back-to-back home runs. And you don't even make it through the sixth inning. Now he, in his post game press conference and his comments, just said like, "I just need to pitch better. I just need to execute better." I'm not, I'm not writing him off. I'm not saying like because he's old, he's bad. Now the strikeout numbers do concern me. This man is striking out less than seven guys per nine innings, a career, a career low. This is Max Scherzer we're talking about. The guy has eight strikeouts in two starts this season. So here's the worst case scenario that has crossed my mind. And I've had to tell myself the my own rules, right? And not completely overreact. It's, we've seen this before. I remember the Pedro Martinez experience with the Mets. Year one comes to the Mets. It's one of the 10 best individual pitching seasons for a Mets starting pitcher. There's the two DeGrom seasons that are unmatched. There's the three quarters of a Matt Harvey season that I would put Pedro's up against, but Harvey was probably better. There's the doc season from the mid 84 to mid 86, where for basically two seasons, he's one of the best pitchers ever, like seven Tom Seaver seasons. But I would put Pedro in 05 ahead of Ari Dickey in 2013. Like that's our 2012. That's how good Pedro was that year. What a 120 games if Braden Looper was better or if Willie Randolph didn't pull him. Here's a here's a Claudio nugget for you. I remember watching a game in mid-August between the Mets and I believe it was the Nationals. The Mets are up eight nothing in the fifth inning. Willie Randolph, in an attempt to load manage Pedro Martinez, yes, baseball originally started the load management movement. NBA, uh, they pulled him after six innings because you're up eight nothing. Let's save some of Pedro's bullets for the future. Well, the Mets blew that lead. It was they blew gave up six runs in the seventh. Shout out Danny Graves. Blew the lead in the ninth, and it was 8-8 going into the bottom of the ninth. The Mets ended up winning, I believe, on a walk-off in the 10th inning. I forget how they won it, though. Having said that, those were the types of ways Pedro had to lose because his closer didn't hold it for him, or Willie Randolph literally didn't let him complete a shutout. He was so good that season. Going to 2006, Pedro Martinez is an all-star, first half of the year, something's off come August. He has four really bad starts in a row, like four cookie Carrasco starts in a row. They get him examined. He's got a tear, I believe in his shoulder and he has to miss the next year. He comes back at the end of 2007. The Mets are in the midst of one of the worst collapses in baseball history in the regular season. And Pedro pitches three or four starts has one loss. It's during that final week against the Cardinals And we're thinking, all right, it sucks the way the season ended, but at least we got Pedro back. And then they trade for Johan Santana. It's like, oh, wow, we got Pedro and Johan. This is great. And then Pedro Martinez in 2008 has one of his worst individual seasons. Father time is undefeated. And that's my fear with Scherzer. That maybe, maybe this is the beginning of us seeing that he's now like a five to six inning pitcher. It's two bad innings. It's two starts where he couldn't make it through through six unscathed. I just, it's in the back of my mind that this is a cause for concern. As far as the bullpen goes, there's some guys that I just, I'm already done with like Tommy Hunter. God bless you. Um, I, I don't think you're an appropriate long man (laughs) going forward. Uh, Look, my philosophy with bullpens or my belief with them is that they're extremely random. Guys will like Diaz is the perfect example for it has the worst season for a closer that I've ever seen for the Mets and also the best season for a closer that I've ever seen for the Mets. Uh, there's enough arms in this for in this bullpen that I trust um, out of Vino, despite the walk off home run at trust Robertson in his limited time so far this year has looked good. Um, Dennis Santana's looked good. Uh, John Curtis, two big innings in that game on Wednesday. Happy birthday, sir. Even though you're not listening to this podcast. Even Drew Smith got in and out of trouble. You know? Um, I don't like that he didn't do his job and hold the lead, but he kept it tied. That's an underrated skill for a reliever that you don't completely implode and lose the game, um, but you at least keep it tied. Sometimes you don't have it, but if you're able to get out of it, I think you're fine. And look, I think my my thoughts on Drew Smith, like if he's your setup man, your primary setup man, you're probably screwed. But if he's your fourth or fifth option, then you're probably okay because you have four better options than him. So I think he's fine. Brooks Raley has looked extremely hittable so far this season. Already two home runs. It was in the same inning the other night. Now that's the other part about Raylia. I think he'll be okay. There's also a world where this is just one bad inning. And then you look back and it's like, I oh, remember that one bad inning he had in Milwaukee, like last year, i in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. There's enough arms in this bullpen that I trust. Just throw as much as you can against the wall and see what sticks with a bullpen and come Memorial day. We'll see who's still here. And look, that's like the larger point is that just because you're here now doesn't mean you're going to be here. For the long term, especially if you don't pitch well, like this is unresearched, but this is always a thought I've had that every team, because of how many innings are in a 162 game schedule, has like three or four guys on it that were just awful, like every good team. Like I'd be willing to bet money that every World Series champion ever you know or at least since the 90s when you needed more relievers to complete a game right because the, the, the complete games have just like kind of gone away so let's like say since 1994 since the strike year every world series champion has a guy with like at least 5 innings pitched that was awful like an ERA of at least 5 or 6 i guarantee every world series champion has that in fact like i'm going to test that that's your homework go through Test that if you want to, everybody. Go through Major League history, or at least up until 94, and look through all the World Series champions and see if there is, like if it, if you can be concluded that there was at least one guy, one guy that threw at least five innings and was awful, like complete garbage and was then DFA'd. Like, probably a good person. God bless you for chasing your dream, but you weren't a good baseball player for this team that eventually won the World Series. I'm pulling up the 22 Houston Astros now. Did they have a guy Good Lord, did they have a good bullpen. But, Ronel Blanco, amigo, 7.11 ERA in six and a third. I'm going to the Braves now. I'm not going to do... This is live podcasting, folks. 2021, Atlanta Braves pulling this up. We go down to their rotation, their bullpen. Didn't even have to go that far. Josh Tomlin, a 6.57 ERA in... Now he did have, and no game started. It's not even this is a former starter that became a reliever. An ERA of six and a half in 49 and a third. There are plenty of guys, by the way, like this. Shane Green had an ERA of 8.47 in 17 innings pitched. Jesse Biddle, uh 8.44. Kyle Wright, who eventually won 20 games the following season. Now, this was a start, so I'll, I'll let him off the hook. But even that, like This is three guys I just mentioned, the team that won the World Series. Let's do the ultimate example, the 98 Yankees. There's no way that team, the 98 Yankees won 114 games during the regular season. The legendary bullpen of Mike Stanton and Graham Lloyd and Mariano Rivera and Miro Mendoza and Jeff Nelson. There's no way they had anybody that qualifies for this, right? Okay, I went to the 98 Braves. That might actually be a good test because those teams were loaded with, with good pitching. So let's start here. 98 Braves have three guys that qualify for this. Wow, Mark Wallers was bad. Mark Wallers, 20 innings pitch, a 10.18 ERA. And then Adam Butler, an exactly five innings pitch. Not a start, a 10.80 ERA. Let's go to the 98 Yankees. The 1998 New York Yankees, one of the historically, I'm, I know this might be terrible podcasting. You might have already turned this off. I am having a blast looking up old baseball reference stats. Again, trying to prove a point here about bullpens. Wow, I don't even have to go that far. Mike Stanton that year, a 5.47 ERA and 79 innings pitched. So that'll actually excuse, because he probably got a like had a couple of bad outings and then. That doesn't prove my point completely. But then you go down to Willie Banks, who had 14 innings pitched and a 10.05 ERA. Or how about Mike Buddy, who in 41 and two thirds innings pitched, had a 5.62 ERA. Or Ryan Bradley, in 12 and two thirds innings pitched, a 5.68 ERA. Joe Borowski, 6.52 in nine innings pitched. Jay Tesmer, this bullpen stinks. This team won 125 games this year. So, yeah, I don't get upset about bullpens. Throw, throw what you can at the wall. Hopefully you have five guys that are good by the end of the season, which they already have three or four that I think are good. So they're not that far away. couple of things before I wrap up. So the Mets postponed their home opener. And while you might just say that they looked at the forecast from Milwaukee, or I guess I'm, I'm assuming they have people in New York that made this call, Uh, But they postponed this thing from Thursday to Friday on Wednesday. So minutes after the Mets lost to the Brewers, they decided that this game was postponed until Friday. I live in Queens, about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes away from Citi Field. It did not rain on Thursday. Not only did it not rain, one might call it beautiful outside. That's how nice it was, from about, especially from 1 to 4 p.m. when they would have been playing this game. It was close to the 80s. Like, I believe the high of 77 is what we got. So there was a world that even if McGill didn't have it, at least the fan base could have been, you know, under the first real nice spring day of 2023. And instead, it's supposed to be in the 50s with Overcast for this opener on Friday. So Conspiracy Corner... Has me wondering a couple things. First of all, how ready is City Field to be home opened? We've seen all of these construction updates throughout the off season, and this new scoreboard that's apparently like revolutionary. We'll, we'll see it in in all of its action whenever you go there. I guess at least maybe even from the TV, you'll get a good look at it. Um, these right field dimensions I'm very curious about. Apparently, they got rid of that little indent in the right field, not right field corner, really the right field wall. Um, So I'm I'm really curious to see what it looks like. I'm just also curious if they needed another day to fully put the finishing touches on city field before it was open. There was a large part of me that wondered if we were going to get an update that they wanted Kodai Senga to pitch on his regular rest day. And so he could pitch Friday, and they'd give McGill an extra day, and then your home opener has Ghost Fork and Kodai Senga's City Field debut, which would have been a ton of good buzz and a ton of good PR, and completely distracted a fan base that was downtrodden and beaten apparently for three days in Milwaukee. I would hope that this is like the least likely option because I really don't want Mets, the Mets front office, to also overreact to seven games. And the last one is that. They looked at guys that are struggling that played six straight days, seven straight days to start the season and figured they needed not just a day off from traveling, but just like a day to get back home, get back to New York and just like stay away from baseball for a day. And we'll see you Friday morning for the home opener. The most likely option, I want to acknowledge this, is that they read the forecast and made a bad call it's better they do this than what the Yankees did for game five against the Indians, excuse me, the Guardians last year, uh, where they waited two hours into a rain delay with no rain and then called it. Um, But there's also a part of me that wonders if it's more than that. Uh, Having said that, the Mets do play their home opener on Friday at Citi Field um, at 1 p.m. It's a 1 p.m. start Friday, a 4 p.m. start, or I guess 4.10 start on Saturday and then a one ten start again on Sunday. We've got McGill, Kodai Senga, and then uh, Cookie Carrasco on Sunday in these three games. The Sunday matchup is interesting because Sandy Alcantara, the reigning NL Cy Young, obviously we all saw an opening day. He is slated to pitch Monday in in Philly, but the Marlins also don't have a starter listed for Sunday, which would be his normal day to pitch. Because he pitched Tuesday. So Tuesday, Sunday is the normal amount of of rest. Um, I just wonder if they just haven't listed a fifth starter yet. Um, We'll see. We'll see if we end up seeing Sandy again. He's pitched a lot against the Mets in his career. It's also really, I think he's pitched a lot of Sunday games at Citi Field. So are he Sunday against the Mets even like at Miami as well? So I guess we'll see what ends up happening with that Sunday matchup. But that will do it for this session of Mets Therapy. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you exhaled that the Mets season isn't over, that you didn't call it quits and officially uh, started digging up the grave on the 2023 Mets through seven games. Uh, There are things to be concerned about. There's also the theme of this episode. It's not going to be the title, but it really should be. There's plenty of baseball still to play. So having said that, Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I will be back on Monday to recap what is hopefully a get-right weekend against the Marlins. And until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the games this weekend. Let's go Mets, and I will speak with you soon. Peace.